0: Puroair uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. puroair.com com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HIPAA 14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? That's homethreads.com slash parenting to get your code for 15% off your order, because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand I'm your Village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone. So, a couple of weeks ago, I answered a question from a mom concerned about missing a developmental window and wondering how she could now get back on track. And this brought up an interesting topic that I said I wanted to go deeper into because there are pushes in development, as we know, and we hear a lot. If we see our child falling behind to get them in right away for an assessment because the earlier the intervention the better chance of helping our child catch up so this is a real phenomenon in my work i know there are many windows that create opportunities for parents setting up many things from relational patterns to health habits like sleep and healthy eating that are done much easier during an open window so I'm gonna cover these today to help parents avoid some pitfalls of having to try and set up new habits during a time that might not be nearly as easy as it is during other developmental times or windows. So we're gonna cover a lot of information today. I'm gonna do my best to give as much information as I can into each of these. I'm gonna start with some background information about development and developmental windows. So first, I wanna talk about the definition of of a developmental window. I'm going to make it specific to human children rather than just a general definition because every living thing has developmental windows. So a developmental window in children is a critical window that represents a period during development when a child is responsive to internal and external factors. So These can be positive or negative factors, mind you. Exposure to chemicals and certain stressors during a particular window of development, particularly in utero, we know can cause irreparable harm. But also positive factors and stimuli such as touch, exposure to language, opportunities for, and exposure to certain toys, ideas, music, healthy diet, and experiences can affect development positively. Depending when these are introduced, it will create a bigger effect than at other times. So we know exposure to multiple languages early on, infancy, toddlerhood, in utero even, yields a far higher result in the ability to speak those languages than if we wait until a child is seven or 10 or beyond because those language neurons are now starting, or they're less plastic. The neuroplasticity isn't as supple as it is when they're young for their language neurons. So we know a lot of this stuff already. So what I'm gonna cover today are what we call windows of opportunity, because brains develop and mature during different stages of life. So windows of opportunity are optimum periods for specific areas of development. Now these are times when learning in specific areas can develop at an incredible rate, or times when babies, toddlers, and children are more receptive or have a higher propensity towards certain behaviors and ideas. So I'm gonna start with infancy and work our way forward. These windows I'm covering are ones related to parenting as far as creating a peaceful, cooperative home that can make your job a lot easier and smoother overall that most parents have no idea about. So I'm not gonna be going into every nuance of every developmental window, such as language or cognitive, fine and gross motor, when and how to support these because that's way too broad to cover in this episode. And I really wanna get to these pieces that I think are really kind of hidden gems in parenting that makes our job so much easier. But also, if you're interested in knowing those, I do have classes that are specifically for that, each age, you're developing infant, you're developing toddler, you're developing preschooler. I cover those topics in depth in three to six month increments, broken down by area, fine and gross motor, cognitive, language, social, emotional, expected milestones, ways to support development, red flags that indicate you may want to get further assessment. So that's a whole topic that I cover separately in each separate class by age. And again, I break it down in three to six month increments, what you should be seeing within that range so that you know and if they're falling behind or how you're doing and ways to support either keeping them, if they have strengths, like really supporting those strengths or if they're struggling, ways to help support their struggle and get them on track. And those are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. If you want to check those out, you might want to go to the Age section, either the classes for infants or cl- classes for toddlers, and you can see the you can see the intros for each of those classes and see if that's something that you're interested in. So, but I do want to cover a couple of quick tips when it comes to development in these other areas. I just spoke about language, cognitive, you know, physical development. All kids develop differently. So while one child is walking at nine months, another might be eighteen months. One child is saying their first word at 10 months, while another might be one and a half or even closer to two. What you want to see is progress, rolling over to sitting, to crawling, to standing, making sounds, babbling, to making more distinct sounds, repeated sounds, ba-ba-ba, ta-ta-ta, da-da-da. You want to see some type of progress, showing understanding of the language that you use, looking and turning towards you when you say their name, When you say, where is the ball, they'll look or point or they'll go get it. They're understanding language. You just want to see progress in language for sure. If you're not seeing progress, if it slows down or it's going backwards, that's when you definitely have a red flag in development. There are a lot of social interactions in cues that may come before the first words. Um, You'll see single words first, two to three word phrases, and then sentences. You'll see more clarity in pronunciation as they get older and start using language more. Again, all these steps are covered in those developmental classes. So if you're wondering about that, I recommend checking those out. So you just, you wanna see progress and you want to try to refrain from comparing to other kids because your kids may be doing things at different times or at different, they may be developing at a different pace than other children. So the comparing is just never helpful. Okay, let's get to these windows of opportunity. The first window is three months to around nine months. And this is for sleep. So the first three months are what we call the fourth trimester. This is when baby is transitioning from the womb to the world. So some babies are amazing at tuning the world out and others are not. If you have a baby who is what we call a sleeper, this piece is much easier. They can fall asleep almost anytime, anywhere. So it's really just about setting up good habits from the very beginning and they will easily learn to sleep in their own space and stretch out their sleep naturally over time. So here you just want to avoid bad habits. If you have what we call a signaler, this is difficult. So you have sleepers and signalers. Signalers don't fall asleep easily. The world is very stimulating, lights, noise, etc. They get cranky, they get overtired. They often need to be held and to feel comfortable and comforted. Now, I had one of these, my first was a signaler. We would go to a restaurant and people would have their baby in a baby seat in a in a uh, car seat sitting beside them, totally sleeping through the meal. And we would look at them and be like, how do they do that? Well, it turns out their babies were more sleepers. Ours was a signaler. There was no way we could let him sit in an infant seat or in a, a car seat during a meal. He would have sat there or laid there and screamed his head off the entire time. We would have had to hold him, bounce him. Oh, So you'll know what I'm talking about if you have one of these babies or had one of these babies, either way. My second two were sleepers. Now my first was so difficult and required so much attention that when my twins were born, they were so quiet. They would sleep quietly in their infant chairs on the dining room table. I'd forget I had two babies in the house. I would rush around cleaning, doing laundry, playing with my older son. So if you have a baby who is not good at sleeping on his or her own, it's easiest to work on this between the ages of three months. Once they're past that fourth trimester, you've had to go ahead from your pediatrician that they're gaining weight and developing normally, and then before nine months of age. And then you also might need to work around any teething because when teeth are coming in, it's not a good time to try to work on fixing a sleep issue. So once the, the thing that happens is once your baby gets to be about nine months old, they can pull themselves up in the crib then we have an added complication to the process because they'll often pull up and at first they don't know how to get themselves back down and they'll stand there and they'll cry and they'll cry because they don't know how to put themselves back down. So it just adds to the process and it adds to the stimulation. The further they get along in development after that, standing up, jumping around, climbing out of the crib, then you're in a toddler bed and they can get out and run around, makes this whole thing a lot harder. So when I talk about a sleep issue, where we want, what we wanna see from a baby and a toddler on is falling asleep on their own in their own space. Now, if you decided to co-sleep, this is different. You can count this out and you can figure out when you're gonna make the transition, when it works for you. But if you're not co-sleeping and this is not something that you wanna be doing long-term, you wanna have baby or toddler falling asleep in their own space. By themselves. So staying till they're sleepy is fine, but you want to make sure you leave before they fall asleep. Because if they fall asleep while you're there, when they make wake up in the middle of the night, they then expect you to be there, and then you're getting woken in the middle of the night to, for them to come because they want you there to comfort them back to sleep. Or if you have baby or toddler falling asleep while you're breastfeeding or giving a bottle, they're using the bottle to fall back asleep. So when they wake up in the middle of the night, they then need bottle or breast to fall back to sleep. So we want to get them falling asleep without needing any aids from parents, any outside resources. So the longer this pattern persists, the harder it is to change it. So setting up good sleep habits is easiest between four and nine months. So that's our first window of opportunity. The next window is introducing healthy foods. So the best time to open up the palate is, believe it or not, between six and nine months. Now, this doesn't mean there isn't plenty of opportunity to do this after that. Toddlers can be very receptive with the right attitude and as long as we keep trying. But between six and nine months is the best opportunity, window of opportunity for this. Babies are willing to put almost anything in their mouths and they will try it without even thinking about it as we all know, that's why we have to be careful with the things on the floor that they can get and put in their mouth. Little pieces of dog food or little nuts or bolts or things are on the floor because they'll pick it up and put it in their mouth. So this is the opportunity to really introduce a lot of flavors. Once they get close to the age where they start to get mobile, which is for most around nine months, is when, you know, because they can get around by crawling and pulling up and scooting, those types of things, a phenomenon known as neophobia starts to set in. This is a fear of new flavors. And scientists believe this is a survival mechanism because if early human babies and toddlers who were mobile wouldn't be discerning, they might end up eating something very harmful. So, they tend to be less open to trying new things after this period. So, once your baby is on solids, as always, you're going to introduce one new food every three to four days. This way, you can be sure there's no allergies, or if there is a reaction, then you can be pretty sure you know what the culprit is. Then, you want to keep offering lots of new options and keep everything in the rotation, even if they turn it down on the first few tries. You want to keep trying. Keep trying the broccoli, keep trying the blueberries, keep trying. Lots of tastes and textures. You want to do lots of textures too. So my favorite resource for this was called Lisa Barnes' book called Cooking for Baby. There are so many great recipes in there for introducing new foods, textures, combinations, herbs, and more into the diet. She has recipes from six months, I believe, up to about one and a half to two. She has this really great way of introducing the foods as they age, as they're ready. She talks about things you're not supposed to feed before the like one year no honey before age one and some other foods they shouldn't have um, before a certain age. So she has a really great book on that. But as I mentioned, if you have a toddler who has a limited palate, there's still plenty you can do and the earlier the better. So you wanna keep offering even up to 20 times for a new food because research does show that you need to offer for some foods up to 16 times before they will become accepting of it. So keep offering that food, don't give up. You wanna stay neutral. No short order cooking, just a simple, this is dinner or this is lunch, you don't have to eat it, but this is all we have until our next meal. Then you can let your toddler choose what to eat and how much. Keep snacks healthy, though, so they aren't turning up their nose at the meals and holding out for the crackers and veggie straws and other stuff for snack times and juice and filling up on those instead. If you want more on feeding infants and toddlers, introducing new foods, all the ways to open up their palate, how to fix picky eating issues, ways to make kids much more receptive to new foods and opening their palate, the class Feeding for Infants and Toddlers, and the class Healthy Eating Preschool and beyond on the website also, yourvillageonline.com. Okay, our next window of opportunity we're gonna talk about is potty training. And then also leveraging the window of independence for cooperation, right after a word from our sponsors. Now that we're back, I'm gonna share my secrets about the potty training window first. So let me say, this isn't so much a window as it is a doorway. So don't feel like if you don't get this one done in a particular time that you're going to miss the window. It's actually not a window. It's once they pass through this doorway, they're pretty much ready to go. Now, what I see happening way more often is that parents want toddlers potty trained before they're truly ready. The reasons vary widely, whether it's a family member who's butting in and pushing, like they should be potty trained already, I had that one, (laughs) to a preschool where they need to be ready to enter, And they only take kids who are potty trained. So, if this is your situation, I would find a school that is okay with kids not being potty trained if your child doesn't seem like they're really, you know gung-ho about potty training because you don't need that pressure saying like in two months I get emails in two months my kid has to start preschool and they need to be potty trained that's too much pressure too much pressure on you too much pressure on the child and unfortunately it tends to backfire and then the toddler will end up pushing back because no matter what we do we cannot force them to sit down on the potty and go to the bathroom so you want to take off that pressure for everyone so I recommend finding a preschool that doesn't need to be potty trained if your child isn't showing any interest or just it doesn't seem to be on that track right now Seeing other kids their age fully potty trained for months and your child still isn't potty trained can sometimes make us feel like our child's behind and we need to get them potty trained. So we're gonna remove all that pressure (laughs) right now. The good news is once your toddler's ready, if you know what you're looking for, and you'll know, it will go so smooth. So when your toddler is fully ready to potty train, it is smooth and it's easy. Sometimes kids potty train in steps, so if your child is fully potty trained to pee but they're refusing to poop on the potty, this is completely normal. Same with daytime versus nighttime. They might be fully trained in the daytime and it might be fully trained in the daytime for months or even a year and they're still not able to go through the night. Nighttime can take quite a bit longer. It's simply a maturation process. There are hormones that they need to be producing at a certain level in order for them to be able to wake themselves at night or in order to be able to hold a full bladder of pee. So this is very normal also. Okay, so we're going to talk about the not ready signs so that you know we're not going to try to potty train when we see these signs. There's three signs that means you're nowhere close to trying to make a push towards potty training or opening up towards potty training. It just isn't going to happen. You're going to focus on other things. Your toddler will get there in their own time. Number one, they're in the midst of the negativism stage. You say up. They say down you say blue they say red anything you say they say no this is a normal developmental stage where they're testing their independence and their autonomy they're finding their voice they're finding their power and so trying to potty train during this is a recipe for frustration at best but likely disaster because you're going to say it's time to use the potty and they're going to say no (laughs) it will likely just prolong the amount of time until they're ready because there's a lot of power in saying no. So, if they can say no to the potty training, they're going to use it for that just to be able to use it. So, we just want to drop the potty training at that point. Now, this stage usually peaks around two and a half and then it will fall. So, this doesn't mean some kids don't train at two and a half. They do. But it has to be pretty much 100% their idea. And, or, some kids, the negativism stage is actually a lot less pronounced. Some, every kid goes through it, but some of them, it just isn't such a big deal. So if your toddler is exhibiting this phenomenon, a lot of negativism, it's best to just let it pass before trying to lead the way to potty training. Number two, they hide in the corner to go to the bathroom. So you'll see this. You look around, you don't see them. They're hiding behind the plant. They're hiding behind the couch. They're squatting down. They're going to the bathroom. They are not ready to be approached about using the potty. This is their way of saying, this is the way I feel comfortable. Please don't ask me to use the bathroom because I don't, I'm not ready, I don't want to. So we wanna let them move through this stage to feel like they are in charge. This is the biggest thing. When they feel like they are in control of this process, it will go so much smoother. Number three, if they sit on the potty with no success and within a few minutes they get up and they go to the bathroom on the floor in their pull up, in their underwear, You'll see this. They'll sit down on the potty to go and sometimes they'll even be they'll stand up and it'll just happen right there outside the potty. And you'll be like, why can't you get in the potty? It's because they're too anxious. Those muscles are constricting. They're uncomfortable. They're not ready. They're emotionally not ready. And so they're finally relaxed enough they're like, I'm off the potty. And then it comes out. They're not ready. They're just too anxious to have full control. So they need a little bit more time. So And then you also want to refrain doing anything around any other big changes, a move, a new baby, changing schools, because it'll leave you ripe for a relapse, even if you do have success. So if you start to have potty success and then you move to a new house or they move to a new school, it's often more frustrating when they start having a relapse because we have a new expectation like, yay, my child is potty training, we're on track. And then boom, you feel like you're right back where you were two weeks ago or a month ago. And then are like, what's going on? I know they know how to do it, and it just sets up a lot of frustration. So if you have a big change coming up, you wanna hold off. Okay, we wanna look for readiness signs. So there's a lot of them, but just to name a few, interest in potty training. They might ask questions about the potty or about your potty process. They'll follow you to the potty. They'll play potty with their dolls or animals. They can follow three to four step directions easily Now, there are a lot of different signs for being ready to the potty. There's like in the class, I list probably about 15. They don't have to have all of them, but you want to see a definite interest in potty and potty training and the concept of it. And when you see the list, if they're interested in five, six, seven of them, there's some interest there. It's definitely something you can start considering and moving towards. Okay. So when we're talking about three to four step directions, go get your shoes and your jacket put them on, meet me at the door. That's a four step direction. You can do it with fun things. Run to the table, touch it, touch your nose, and jump up and down. You can do fun things like that. But if they can follow three to four step directions, they're getting on their way because potty training is like 10 steps in a row. They have to notice they have to go, stop what they're doing, go to the bathroom, pull down their pants and their underwear, sit down, go to the bathroom, and they are only halfway there (laughs) because now they've got to stand up, wipe, Put their pants back on, take care of all that. So they need to be able to follow at least three to four step directions to be ready to do the potty training. The other one is potty talk. I pooped. And even better, I have to pee. Those are obviously big signs they're ready, right? I have to pee tells you they are understanding that they feel that they have to go to the bathroom before they actually go. That is huge. That is a big readiness sign. So I wanna get to the independence window of opportunity, but I wanna cover a few more things on potty training first. So if your child is not ready, you can still do some pre-potty training. You can get books about the potty and read them. You can talk about your potty process. If your toddler follows you to the bathroom, I can feel like I have to pee, so I'm going to the bathroom. I need to pull down my clothes so I don't get them wet or messy. I sit on the big potty, but when you're ready, We'll get you a little potty for the floor to start with. That kind of thing. You're going to talk them through your process. When I'm done, I wipe. You're going to talk about this process and the steps. So it removes a lot of mystery, and it can also alleviate anxiety about it when they start to think about it. Now, just some also general tips or general ideas. Boys tend to train later than girls. Girls average around two and a half to three, and boys are closer to three to three and a half. But a girl who is turning four is not outside the normal window. Your toddler will train easily when he or she is ready. So just as an example, I tried with my younger son when he was just a little over three. And for two days, we were very diligent and he was past the negativism stage. So every time I was like, let's try the potty, he would go pull down his underwear and sit down. Super easy. He would try. He was very willing, but nothing but accidents. Nothing would come out in the potty. And then a few minutes later, he was going... So he just wasn't ready, like I shared earlier. So we just let it go for a little bit. But then a few months later, I was like, you know what? We're going to try it again. Let's just see. So we tried it. One day, we went back to the underwear. and We're like, we're going to try again today. And boom, nothing but success. He never had a single accident after that. I kid you not. He was the easiest kid to potty train once he was ready. He would, once we had that full day, just going on the potty after that, he would just get himself to the potty and go pee and poop. It was super simple. Now it may not be that easy for everyone. Like I said, you may have steps, maybe pee first and then poop, some of those types of things. But once they're ready, the training is really, really smooth. We're going to relieve all the pressure, let the child know it's their process. This empowers them in ways that you could never imagine. So if you're having any potty training struggles or relapses, or one of the steps leading up to during potty training. The potty training class covers everything from the pre-readiness potty training, all the things you can do to kind of start encouraging them and opening it up as a conversation and discussion and interest, and then the do's and don'ts while you're potty training. And also we cover all those things about what to do if they're peeing, but not pooping and all that kind of stuff. Okay, the independence push in toddlerhood. And then I'm actually going to cover some other just general development stuff after this because I think it's really helpful for um, toddler age, preschool and elementary age kids all the way up because this is just a real this is a real process that we have that we're going to lead them through from all the way through up to teenage years. So the independence push in toddlerhood. So kids are always moving more towards independence, but there's a really big push, well, two big pushes, one during toddlerhood, one during adolescence. We're going to talk about the toddlerhood first. When your toddler wants to do something for him or herself, you want to give every opportunity. So as an example, when my daughter was two, she wanted to get herself dressed every morning, including buttoning her own pants. So she was not adept at this yet. You know, those two-year-old fingers, they're short, they're stubby, um, still lots of baby fat on there. They just... Getting those things to snap or button is really hard to do with those little fingers. So I made sure I got her started first so that she could have all the time she wanted to attempt her buttons or snaps. Then I would go to make breakfast and get her brothers going. Sure enough, after about 20 minutes of trying, she'd finally come and ask for help but she got to put on all of her clothes by herself and she got all the time that she wanted to get practice and give her best effort. And because she was practicing pretty soon, she was able to do it all by herself. So you want to give them these opportunities to do for themselves. Even if you think there's an easier way or a better way, let them go ahead and try it. When they do help, even if it isn't quite right, or the way that you would do it. You wanna take the help how it comes. Let them set the table and put the silverware in the wrong places. Let them make their bed and have some wrinkles. Let them put the toys away and mix a few of them up. Let them make the sandwich and get some jelly on the counter. Let them do the work and be proud of it. This shows them that you far value the independence and the effort over the placement of the silverware or the little bit of jelly on the counter. It pays off a thousand times over as they build confidence and independence throughout their childhood. So there's time later for some fine tuning. Once they get a little bit older, they're a little more adept with their fine and gross motor skills, then you can start teaching things like, here's how we do it without getting jelly on the counter. Here's how we make our bed and make sure there's no wrinkles. But let them get really good at it for a while. Let them feel proud of their accomplishment, feel independent, feel responsible. Then you can bring those up later. A couple things I wanna just give a general unfolding of the developmental process. So in these toddler and preschool years, we're working a lot on this independence, of course, potty training, them dressing themselves and that's going to continue on but we're also this is a big stage where we're really working on emotional competence because there's a lot of big emotions they're learning a lot of emotions they're feeling a lot of emotions so we're going to really work on this in these toddler years labeling emotions helping them understand their emotions what anger is what anger feels like what frustration feels like and then ways that they can work through that in appropriate ways because we as we know i get a lot of questions about that about you know kids throwing things kids getting Upset, kicking, punching. So, we're working through a lot of this in toddlerhood so that by the time they are in their elementary school years, their emotional competence is really strong. They can label their emotions, they can share their feelings appropriately because now we're working on more independence through those elementary school years. Learning to take on their homework process, learning to advocate for themselves when it comes to whatever that is, whether it's a sport that they want to do, a hobby they want to try. an activity that they want to do, something when they're struggling in school or they're struggling with something, coming and asking for help. We're really they get they get very competent in this age group from five to ten. It's amazing what this age group can do when they have those skills that we've worked with them on in toddlerhood, and we're going to continue working on those because they're going to continue to have some struggles with emotions, of course, when they're tired and stressed and you know feeling overwhelmed about things. We're always going to be working on that, helping them label emotions, helping them share them in a way that is appropriate, feeling comfortable coming to us always to talk about them so that we can help them and troubleshoot with them, and then giving them their independence on ways that they want to talk to their friend about something or talk to their teacher, always offering them to take the first step after we troubleshoot with them, letting them take the lead. And then if they're not comfortable, then we will go with them. Because once they're tweens and teens, then they really need to be able to do it on their own. And so once we get to tweens and teens, when we have a really competent tween and teen, it will make those ages so much easier. Because again, there's another big push for independence in those years. There is a lot of hormones and a lot of changes in the body. And so there are, you know, there are some struggles in those ages just managing puberty. So if they're emotionally competent, you'll see a lot less struggle you'll be able to work with them a lot more. They'll be able to come to you and talk about those struggles a lot easier as they move into those tween and teen years because then they're really working towards adulthood and learning all those independent skills towards adulthood. How do I manage a budget? How do I cook a meal? How do I get gas in my car? How do I do maintenance on my car? Those things that as they move towards adulthood, they're going to need to know because when you get to the end of the teenage years or the teenagers of them with you, 15, 16, 17, that you're going to make sure that they really have all those skills and learning how to pay a bill, how to pay a bill on time, how to manage all of that, how to balance their budget, what a credit card is, why they need to be careful with credit cards, how they want to always pay it off at the end of the month. All of these skills that they're going to want to know how to do, once they get towards that age. And of course, we're always there for them. And as they head off into the world, we're still there to, of course, guide them. But the more they can have before they leave the home at 18, the better. So that's sort of my overall view of (laughs) developmental windows, windows of opportunity, and what we're working on at kind of each of these ages and stages. And when we get the foundation for each age and stage down, they're ripe and ready for that next stage. That They can be those amazing human beings that they are absolutely destined to become, and we will have a big handle in that. Again, any of these classes are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. Potty training, infant sleep, toddler sleep, your developing infant, developing toddler, developing preschooler, feeding infants and toddlers, healthy eating preschool and beyond, discipline tools for toddlers, for preschoolers, for school age, and for tweens and teens, all on the website, yourvillageonline.com. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.